I'm Rhonda Nowak for the Mail Tribune and Rosebud Media. This is The Literary Gardener for September 30th, 2021. The topic this time is some of my favorite quotes from the well-gardened mind. For I have learned to look on nature not as in the hour of thoughtless youth, but hearing oftentimes the still, sad music of humanity. William Wordsworth, Lines Composed a Few Miles Above Tintern Abbey, 1798. On July 13, 1798, the romantic poet William Wordsworth revisited the River Wye on the Welsh borders with his sister Dorothy. He was only five years older than his last visit to the area at the age of 23, but this time he experienced the natural surroundings with an eye made quiet by the power of harmony and the deep power of joy. Wordsworth was so inspired by his trip that he claimed to have constructed the 161-line poem often referred to as Tintern Abbey on the ride back home. The verse marked a shift in his nature poetry, which thereafter demonstrated more intellectual and philosophical engagement with the subject of nature. In fact, Wordsworth's later poetry is often regarded as a forerunner to contemporary eco-poetry. Wordsworth's poem provided solace to Sue Stewart Smith, author of The Well-Gardened Mind, The Restorative Power of Nature, 2020. I'll be focusing on the well-gardened mind for my columns and podcast during the month of October. At the time, Sue Stewart Smith was an English literature major at Cambridge, grieving over the death of her father. Later, she changed directions and became a psychiatrist and psychotherapist, but it wasn't until after she married English landscape designer and writer Tom Stewart Smith that she became a gardener. I discovered the pleasure of wandering through the garden with a free-floating attention, registering how the plants were changing, growing, ailing, fruiting, she writes in The Well-Gardened Mind. Gradually, the way I thought about boring jobs like weeding, hoeing, and watering changed, and I came to see that it is important not so much to get them done, but to be fully involved in doing them. Over time, Stuart Smith came to understand that deep existential processes can be involved in creating and caring for a garden. She tapped into ancient knowledge of the restorative power of gardens and the ways in which outdoor exercise and immersive activity can be calming and invigorating at the same time. Reading William Wordsworth's poetry became important to her again. Stuart Smith writes, because he explored perhaps more intensely than anyone else the influence of nature on the inner life of the mind. I learned that Wordsworth and his sister Dorothy grew a garden at Dove Cottage in England's Lake District. They grew vegetables and herbs, but kept much of the landscape naturalistic, a style for which Tom Stewart Smith is well known in the UK. Wordsworth often worked on his poetry while he walked the paths in his garden, pacing out rhythms and chanting verses aloud, so the garden was both a physical setting for the house as well as a setting for the mind. 
In the well-gardened mind, Stuart Smith combines her love for English literature, psychology, and gardening to provide a fascinating and comprehensive account of how gardening affects our mind, our sense of self, and our perceptions of the world around us. As I was reading the book, I found myself constantly making notes in the margins about the insights she shares on every page. For example, Stuart Smith points out that a garden is physically a transitional space between a home and the surrounding landscape. Likewise, gardens offer a mental in-between space where our innermost dream-infused selves meet the real physical world. Gardens are places where we, as adults, can daydream and play, both of which are increasingly recognized to promote psychological well-being. Ironically, at the same time, today's adults are more and more challenged to find space or time for daydreaming and playing. Gardens can help us establish a sense of home and rootedness, another aspect of life that has been lost by many. Jerry and I used to move around a lot, and each time we did, I planted a garden to make it feel like home. I've heard the same story from many other people, and I think it's one of the reasons that OSU Extension Services Master Gardener Program is so popular among gardeners who are new to the area. They want to learn how to grow a garden successfully here so they can make their new place feel like home, and they also want to meet other garden folks. Gardens can also help us mourn and cope with loss. Stuart Smith writes, In tending a plot and nurturing and caring for plants, we are constantly faced with disappearance and return. The natural cycles of growth and decay can help us understand and accept that mourning is part of the cycle of life and that when we cannot mourn, it is as if a perpetual winter takes hold of us. The author notes how gardening provides a ritual for navigating through the grieving process. Gardening is about setting life in motion, and seeds, like dead fragments, help us recreate the world anew. Perhaps this is why planting memorial gardens to honor family and loved ones is so emotionally cathartic. I loved finding out from Stuart Smith that Wordsworth was a gardener. Not only did the poet keep gardening well into his old age, he created gardens for other people as well, including a therapeutic garden for his patron, Lady Margaret Beaumont, for her attacks of melancholy. Wordsworth wrote that he designed the garden to assist nature in moving affections. Another margin note I made in The Well-Gardened Mind seems to sum up why Stuart Smith believes that gardens do assist in moving affections. She writes, A garden gives you a protected physical space, which helps increase your sense of mental space, and it gives you quiet so you can hear your own thoughts. My gardening to-do list this week. I'm going to take Sue Stewart-Smith's advice and work on being mentally present in the garden instead of thinking about other things like I typically do. She reminded me it's important not so much to get gardening chores done, but to be fully involved in doing them. I'm direct seeding some lettuce, onion sets for scallions, garlic, shallots, and radishes for spring this week. I'm also seeding some fava beans for a cover crop in a few of my raised beds that will not have fall or overwintering crops. 
I'm transplanting the last seedlings I've grown for a fall crop of purple sprouting broccoli and kale, as well as overwintering broccoli, cabbage, and cauliflower. I make sure to add compost to replenish the soil before sowing seeds or transplanting seedlings. The average frost date for our area is between October 3rd and October 18th, depending on your elevation. So now is a good time to make sure the cover cloth is ready to protect your seedlings if needed. Outside of the veggie garden, I'm also sowing grass seeds to help fill in summer die-off within my grass pathways. It's a good time to plant native trees, shrubs, and perennial flowers, and also to sow perennial native flower and grass seeds. And I'm going to be tackling dividing some of my bearded irises. And that's it for the Literary Gardener this time. Thanks so much for listening, and happy gardening. <music>